This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. All right, Bible study tonight. <laughs> We're still in 1 Peter. We left off, I believe, we got to... We just got to the real heavy part of the teaching last week uh, in uh, the fourth paragraph, round about verse 13, where Peter says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now that was a command that he's bringing back out of the Old Testament. He's quoting it in the New Testament. But that whole paragraph is one sentence long, and it really just kind of opens up our minds or opens up our eyes to the... I won't say to the need, okay, because that almost puts the power in the wrong hands. But it opens our eyes to the expectation that God has for us, that we would live holy. We're different now. And that's something, it's, it's something that a Christian, when a person first becomes a Christian, a genuine Christian, and they just become born again, it's something that they know instinctively in their heart. I am not the same person I was even five minutes ago. They, they know it. They, don't, they may not know it. It may not be close enough to a conscious level that they could articulate it necessarily, but that innate knowledge is there, that instinctive knowledge is there. They have been changed, and they know that they're not the same person anymore. It happened with me. It has happened It has happened with, with multitudes of others. It happens when we are truly born again. We've been changed from the inside out, just like that. But now, that doesn't mean that necessarily everything on the outside of our life, everything that's sensibly evident to everybody else that they can see or hear, is instantly transformed, although some things are. And I think this has come up recently, though I don't quite remember when. You know, one of the very first things that God cleans up in a person's life is the way they communicate, it's the way they talk. Yeah. He cleans up their language. He scrubs profanity out of their heart. And therefore, it doesn't come out of their mouth. And if it does, well, they just clamp it down and you, you crucify that thing. You purify yourself. We're going to get to that here uh, round about verse 22, but don't get ahead of me yet. Um, he cleans up our language as far as how we talk. He cleans up uh, our lying tongue, and we start actually telling the truth. We become an honest person because it's actually not that hard once you make your first couple of stands against that temptation and you just commit yourself to absolute honesty in all manner of life, then that becomes your new standard. You grow accordingly and you grow into that, and it's just wonderful all the way around. And you start building an honest reputation for yourself, and people know that about you. Okay, so that's good. You know, blasphemies, they're gone. You no longer have a heart that desires to take the Lord's name in vain or to or to curse his name or to utter anything that's offensive concerning God or Christ. Certainly not the Holy Spirit. You know, that's gone out of the hearts. So you don't have to worry about that. It's one of the very first things that God cleans up in the life of a person is the way we talk. Because that's one of the first things that people can identify you by. I mean, people can look at your outward appearance and they can judge you either right or wrong. 
You know, because you can have a person that just got saved yesterday and, you know, they're still wearing whatever clothes that they have and it may be good, may not be good. You can't really judge a person necessarily by the outside wrapper, okay, although that will eventually come into line with it, okay. But you can accurately judge a person by the way they talk. Yeah. You can. And in fact, we'll, t- we'll just jump back really quick to the gospel uh, where... Jesus told him that before the cock crowed thrice, you were going to deny me twice. And Peter didn't believe him, but Jesus already knew the path that he was on. And so when when, uh, Jesus was taken and some people saw Peter afterwards say, hey, you were one of his disciples, weren't you? And Peter denied him, denied him a first time. And they pressed him and he denied them again and then began to curse and to swear. Why? Well, that's a good way of letting people know that you are not of the Lord is to have vile language because vile language comes out of an unclean mind and an impure heart. And so when all that gets cleaned up, which happens the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus, and he begins to clean up the way that we communicate very, very, very quickly. So here he tells us, gird up the loins of your mind. We talked about that last week. doesn't mean your mind has loins. It's just poetic language meaning, you know, prepare your mind. Prepare yourself mentally, intellectually, and so on. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And that doesn't just mean not drunk. Although it does mean that. It means be sober. It means be serious minded. Not a stick in the mud. Not somebody with a long face who doesn't ever know how to crack a smile or enjoy a joke. We can appreciate humor. But being serious when, when situations call for you to be serious. You ever been around someone who was just a permanent jokester and never knew how to take anything seriously? It's kind of fun at first, but that gets pretty wearing really quick, you know, yeah. especially when there's something that needs to get done about it. There's a real situation and you've got, you know, yuck, yuck over here <laughs> cracking jokes about it or what's a jokey Smurf? I don't know why he came to mind, probably because he thought everything was a joke and I grew up watching the Smurfs along with other cartoons. He says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, what does that language mean, at the revelation of Jesus Christ? Well, when when Christ comes and takes his church away, that will be like an ultimate revealing of him to us, okay? You know, we've never seen him with our own eyes. We've only seen bad artwork and inaccurate artwork as far as, you know, He's a blonde, blue-eyed European. It's like, no, he wasn't, but he's painted that way. You know, he's got long hair. No, he didn't. There's Bible for that, you know. Or he was black. It's like, well, no, he wasn't. He wasn't white. He wasn't black. He was a Jew. We don't know what he looked like. He looked like a Jew from 2,000 years ago. We've never really seen him with our own eyes. But at, at the revelation of him, when he comes and calls his church away, okay, then that's what he's talking about here. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lusts in your ignorance, that's an admonition to leave the old life and the old template behind that you once followed before you came to trust in the Lord. It's like, no, man, let that old you die. That old you was an enemy of God. That Whether you were consciously aware of it or not, that old you was, was on their way to hell. That old Jew committed crimes against heaven and just did things that were not good. Let that old you die. Mm-hmm. 
and let the new you that is raised to life in Christ Jesus right now by your, by your saving faith in him and by the grace of God, let that new you come alive and be fashioned after the new standard. And it's new to all of us. It's new to all of us when we're first born again, isn't it? You know, unless you were a, had a doctorate in theology when you were six and you already knew all of it, which I don't think anybody here fits that bill. You know, let yourself be fashioned according to this new standard now. Not because you're trying to get to heaven, but because you're already on your way there now. You see how, you see how, what order that comes in and how important that is? A lot of groups get that backwards, I know, but it, it doesn't mean that they're, it doesn't mean that their standard, however legalistic theirs might be, because they have it in the wrong order, doesn't make their standard wrong. It just means that they might be doing it with the wrong motive, trying to earn their way into heaven. You can't earn your way into heaven. It cannot be done. It had to be purchased for you and me. Well, who was it purchased by? Well, we know. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. So it, it tells us not to fashion ourselves again according to the former lusts. Let that old standard go. Let all that old stuff go. It wasn't good for us then. It's worse for us now. But as he which hath called you, verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means in your entire manner of life. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, the next paragraph begins in the next verse, but he's not changing, he's not changing subjects here. He's still on the same topic. He says in verse 17, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Okay, now this is, this is a big bite we're about to take out of this, okay? So let's chew it slowly, carefully, and make sure we understand what he's talking about. The subject of fear regarding the fear of God has come up lately in some messages and studies. I don't recall precisely where, but I know it's come up. You know, we know that he's not talking about living in a state of terror where God is concerned. You shouldn't be living in a state of terror towards God any more than any of you should have, ideally, because I don't know what your childhood was like, any more than you should have grown up in a state of terror towards your own natural father. Now, maybe you did, because maybe your father was a monster, but maybe you didn't, because you had a good father who loved his children and showed that love, and he was a good and a strong presence in your home. You don't really know. we got so many different kinds out there, but ideally... You should have had a strong father who provided well for his family, loved his family and showed it, you know, by maybe not beating the kids and not beating mom, you know, but, or, but it goes a lot further than that. It doesn't mean just that. Well, that's the very first model of our understanding uh, concerning our relationship with God. If we had a good father, that gives us a good idea of what our relationship with God is like, a good father. But when he speaks of fear here, he's using it in the same context that Paul speaks of it. It's talking about a sober as part of it, a sober reverence and respect for him. Like, you know what? I'm not going to cross him, not because I'm afraid he's going to crush me, but because that's God and I don't want to be on his wrong side. And I know he loves me and I love him. And so I want to do what's right by him. That's what he's talking about here. He says, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. What is that? Sojourning. It's not a word you read or hear too often anymore, but it basically means, you know, you're living somewhere temporarily. 
it's easy for veterans, military folks to understand that because we get stationed in one place. You know, we'd get stationed somewhere for a while and then the military would move us and then the military would move us again. So it's like everywhere we lived, we were just sojourners. You know, we didn't have any roots in that community. And that was my whole life growing up. I think I shared it on Sunday morning to a, to a, a little bit of an extent, you know, born in Omaha, kind of thought of that as my hometown. And then when I was five, we pulled up roots and moved down to Montgomery, Alabama. But we were only down there for three years. And so no real roots there. Pulled up roots again and went back to Omaha, which was kind of odd. You don't usually go back to the same place, but it happens sometimes. And then pulled up roots there less than three years later, moved out to Colorado Springs. And then five and a half years there, pulled up roots again because dad retired. His career was over and and we went back to Omaha, which had kind of become a de facto home base for our family. But every one of those places, we were just sojourners. It's like none of them felt like home. We didn't have any deep generational roots in any of those places. My father originally came out of Missouri. My brother was born in Alabama the first time they were there before I was born. So you look at it on a map, it's just kind of goofy. All right. Mm-hmm. But likewise, here on the earth in this life, This ain't our permanent home, not like it is right now. It's not. We are merely sojourners here. Well, how do you know that? Well, you're going to die one day, right? And that's one of those things that uh, something's going to kill you. If you dodge all the bullets of illness and injury and all of that, then old age is definitely (coughs) going to take you down eventually. Something's going to end the time of your sojourning here, and then it's out into eternity we go either on the right side or on the wrong side of this thing. We want to make sure we stay on the right side of it. He says to pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. Be watchful. Be mindful. Don't allow yourself as a believer to be lulled into an artificial sense of being really at home in the world. Quote C.S. Lewis on that one. Mm -hmm. Because this world, the way that it is now, is not our home. This is just where we're sojourning for a time. Now, I'm kind of getting to the age where I can I could talk about this with a bit more credibility and impunity than, you know, when I was 20 or something like that. I could talk about this because at you know, being in your mid 40s, really start you really start to take stock of your life and how much time you have left, you know. And it might be premature, it might not be. I don't know. I don't personally, I don't think it's ever premature. Maybe if you're nine, it's a bit premature to be contemplating your mortality. You know what I mean? It's like that. I don't know if that's very healthy when you're still in single digits as far as age. But but I don't think 20 or 25 or 30 or 35 is too early at all. Maybe not even 15. I don't think that's too early at all to, to, to start thinking about, hey, one day I'm not going to be alive. One day I'm going to be gone. So his what he's calling us to here is to remember that. We're only here for a short time. He wrote about it over in the Psalms. He talked about how, you know, we we live our lives as a tale that is told. I believe that was Moses. And then in another place, he speaks about how we've got, you know, the lifespan of a man is three score and ten years. You know, and that by reason of strength. I might be paraphrasing that a little bit. But three score and ten is just kind of old Abraham Lincoln style language of saying uh, 70 years. Three score and 10, because a score is 20, right? So 20, 40, 60, and 10 is 70. 70 years average lifespan for a human being since round about the, the time of Noah, the first couple generations after Noah, when God said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, but 
henceforth the measure of his years shall be. And it was something very close to that number. So before the flood, we lived much, much longer lives. And that was literal. It wasn't poetic. So why are we bringing all this up? Remember, this isn't your home. This isn't your home. And, and that's not to say that you can't have a nice home while you're here, but don't be lured into that, lulled and lured into that false sense of feeling at home in the world. The Christian must never feel at home in the world. It's not to say we can't enjoy the good things that are in it. I'm a big fan of it. As far as that goes, there's, there's few things I like more than sitting out on a uh, chilly but a not freezing cold wind-blown snow-blasted fall evening. I like a chilly fall evening just sitting out in a chair on a front porch with a cup of coffee or something like that. It's one of the nice pleasures in life, watching the leaves. If you have a neighborhood that's got a lot of leaves in it that like to fall and turn and all of that, doesn't mean you can't enjoy the nice things of life that are good, all right? The things that are good, but don't forget there's something better waiting for us on the other side. We understand that you know, however our crude imaginations might fail to accurately imagine what things are going to be like in that eternal, perfect place, okay? It's going to be amazing. And it's going to be beautiful beyond anything that man has ever built in this life. And we've built some amazing stuff as a species. You can go back to some things in ancient Greece and imagine what some of those cities looked like at their peak, you know, at, the, at their pinnacle and maybe even ancient Rome, although it was a very cruel empire and some other things. You go look at some of the castles that are over in Japan and just marvel at, at uh, ancient architecture and not so ancient architecture and the things that we're capable of making with our hands. I'm telling you what God has in store for every single blood-bought believer. It's going to make all of those look like Lincoln Log piles. I mean, just really second-rate stuff. Think of the nicest place you ever lived in or... How many of you remember that TV show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? And it'd take you through the, with Robin Light, she always talked like this, and he didn't know why, you know. But you know, I haven't thought of that in years, but you know, it'd take you through these tours of these mansions that these people had in these million-dollar New York apartments or whatever they had. And, and you'd look at that, and you'd just kind of marvel at that, we who are in, you know, floating somewhere in the middle class while it still lasts, you know. Even that, what God has in store for us, all of that stuff pales. And so, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, sober-minded, ready to depart this life at any moment. Now, I don't mean ready like, okay, give me the Kool-Aid, that kind of ready. That's not <laughs> what I mean. Okay, but just prepared, you know, this life could end at any time. People die unexpectedly. All the time and at every single age. You know, death is no respecter of persons. When it's our time, it's our time. And that's just all there is to it. Verse 18, he continues the sentence. So he says, to pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. And he says, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. He says, for as much as ye know 
that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold. He calls those corruptible things because that's what the world values, okay? But silver will corrupt. If you don't keep it polished, it'll corrode and it'll turn black. Gold, I don't know. I don't think that oxidizes hardly at all, but I think gold can even use a polish every now and again. But he says we weren't redeemed with those things. And we got to remember that. What, what redeemed us from our sins, what bought us out of our condemnation, wasn't the corruptible things of this life. It wasn't the money of, of Donald Trump. And I'm not hating on Trump. It wasn't the money of Bill Gates. He's got more than anybody, I think. You know, it, it wasn't any of that. It wasn't gold. It wasn't silver. It wasn't precious stones. It wasn't things that people count as valuable in this life. But he says... Well, and he, he describes that as being from your vain conversation, meaning manner of life. Your vain manner of life, meaning your futile manner of life. And that's what all of us had before we came to trust in Christ. Your futile manner of life received by tradition from your fathers. What's he mean by that? Well, where did we learn our values from? First people we learned our values from were our parents. Their traditions that they learned from their parents, that their parents learned from their parents, and so on, all the way back down the line. He's saying you weren't redeemed by any of that. You weren't redeemed by mom and dad's morality. You weren't redeemed by grandma and grandpa's morality. Or if you had even some pastor that you might have somewhere way back in your family line, you weren't redeemed by any of them or any of the things that they were taught. You were redeemed by one thing and one thing alone, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what takes every single believer and one of the things that takes us and puts us all on the same level, every one of us with one another. It was the same thing that saved you, sister, as it saved me. It was that that redeemed us. The precious blood of Christ, verse 19, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So that reveals or just further supports the fact that it was a plan from God all along, okay? Before the foundation of the world, the Son of God was always ordained to be the sacrifice that would redeem us. So that means that God knew that we were going to fail. No, that means that God knew we could fail. And he was making sure he had a plan in place to bring us back from that destruction so long as we still had breath in our lungs. So all of that was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but he says, was manifest in these last times for you. Peter refers to his times as the last times. Well, what does that mean for us now? Well, we're even more in the last times. It's like 2,000 years almost since Peter wrote this letter, and we're still in the last times. So though the plan was in place since before the Garden of Eden and before the fall of man, he didn't bring it about until this time that he did. He said, for you, who by him do believe in God, by whom? By Jesus. For by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. That your faith and hope may be in God, not in the corruptible things of this life, not in gold, not in money, not in the junk that we're always striving to try to acquire to make our lives a bit more comfortable. And I know it's not all junk, but in light of eternity, it is. You know, you might be driving a beautiful brand new Maserati. And I don't know why I was thinking of a Maserati because I don't, I don't think I've only seen one or two of them in my life. Okay. 
And it's cool, okay? But in a hundred years, that thing's going to be a bucket of rust in some landfill somewhere. And that house that you labored for 30 years to pay for, you know, eventually that thing, however nice it may be, is going to burn. It's all going to burn when God remakes everything like he talked about over in the Revelation and he makes a new heaven and a new earth and all of that. It's just going to be amazing beyond what we can even imagine right now. It's all going to burn. And so our hope is not in all these temporal things in this life. We can't let it ever come to that. Again, it's not to say that, bad, that nice things are bad or that you can't have nice things as a Christian. We don't mean that at all. And the Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't promote that kind of thinking either. But it does remind us that whatever we're blessed with in this life, whatever we have in this life as far as material gain, it's going to be gone one day. Don't let your confidence rest in that stuff. Let your hope and your confidence be in God, as he says here at the conclusion of that paragraph, verse 21. Verse 22, he says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love. There's that unfeigned word again. That's coming up back from last Sunday. Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Seeing you have purified, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love. That's real love. It's not faked. It's not a pretense. It's not put on. Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. A pure heart means a heart's not driven by impure motives. In other words, uh, well, I only love this person for what I can get out of them. I only love them for the attention that I can get from them, or I can only love them for the five bucks that I know I can get off of them if I make that eight bucks, if I want to go over to Jimmy John's and get a sandwich. I only love them for what I can get out of them. Well, that's not a pure heart. A pure heart is just love for love's own sake. It's love for a brother because they're a brother. It's love for a sister because they're a sister. There's no hope of getting something out of them. Well, there's no expectation of getting something out of them. But maybe all you want back is just some love in return. You know, that's what a church is supposed to be like. Loving one another, caring about one another, praying for one another, holding one another up, interceding for one another in prayer for, you know, before God and all of that. It's one of the things that makes a church an actual community and not just an assemblage of religious self-satisfieds. We don't ever want to devolve into that. We never do. He says, you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is grass. This is verse 24 here. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. It's a gentle reminder here. Love one another. Keep your priorities right. You can enjoy the things of this life that are good, but don't set your heart on them. And our Lord said as much over in the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Not to lay up for yourselves treasures in earth, on earth where thieves break in and steal and where moth yeah, comes in and devours and where rust 
corrupts and, and, and wrecks the value of things. He said, but store up for yourselves rather treasures in heaven where none of these afflictions can reach. And, you know, we taught about that in depth about, you know, well, what kind of treasures can you, you can't have a 401k up there. It doesn't work. And, you know, you can't put gold bullion up there. How many of you remember all those AM radio advertisements years ago telling you to buy gold, buy gold, yeah. buy gold? But you lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. That value never diminishes. That value never goes away. And it, it all ties in together here. Remember, keep your hope in God. Purify yourself. Purify yourself in obeying the truth, by obeying the truth. Let the word of God shape the way that we live now. We're not any longer to fashion ourselves on the old model, that old corrupt model that was driven by carnal motives and, and carnal insecurities and carnal everything, all that stuff that, that perishes and can, creates its own problems. But now we model ourselves on the new model. What's the new model? It's not Jay-Z. It sure ain't Beyonce. Is Jay-Z still a thing? I don't even know. You know, it's not any of them, and it's not any of those whack jobs out in Hollywood. It's not any of the people in the music industry, in the entertainment industry. The new model is Christ himself. That's our model. Man, you can't go wrong shaping your, shaping your life and your character after that model. You can't go wrong with that at all. So, well, I'm a woman. How can I shape that after Christ? Christ was a man. No, no, no. It applies on both sides. It doesn't matter. Man or woman, it does not make a difference. You can model your character after him. And that's exactly what he wants. So we keep our hearts set, our affections set on things above. Let your hope remain in God, not the things of this life, and fashion yourself according to the new model. Christ and the word of God. And in all of that, and all of us doing all of us doing that together, love one another as brothers and sisters, not taking unfair advantage of one another, not doing harm to one another, but rather upholding one another in love and in prayer, looking out for one another as we would our own siblings. Maybe even better, because I don't know, maybe you didn't have a great relationship with your siblings. Maybe you fought like siblings. No, we don't want to be like that because we're siblings of a different kind of blood, not natural blood. We're siblings of the blood of Christ. And so that's a whole different nature. That's a whole different attitude. And then there can be conflict sometimes, but you know, a conflict between spiritual siblings, brothers and sisters in Christ, ought to be resolved very quickly in love and in forgiveness, mutual forgiveness, so that there aren't grudges being held between people in a church. That's toxic, it's absolutely poisonous, and does much harm and causes a lot of destruction. He admonishes us to all of this, reminding us that we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Not unlike the corruptible things of the earth that perish, but the word of God abides forever. And he reminds us in these last two verses, 24 and 25, how transient this life is and how transient even the physical beauty of our uh, and, and vigor of our, of our physical form is. You know, you might have started out pretty. But by the time this life's over, you're not going to be. He says, for all flesh is as grass. And we know what grass is like, especially in this climate, this high, dry climate with ultraviolet radiation at 6,000 feet that just brutalizes everything. Grass, it springs up or it grows up and it's green and it's lush and it's beautiful. And if you don't cut it, then it goes to seed and it looks like you have a field of wheat in front of your house instead of a field of grass. 
you know, but it just looks great until it doesn't. You know, as the summer drags on to the end and towards the fall, and then the weather starts changing, and then it what does it do? Well, it withers and it turns brown. That's what all flesh does. I mean, we can revel in our time, in the carnal mind, and in the vigor of our body and all of that, and in the pride of life that the Bible talks about, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And you can revel in that for a time and in all of its pleasures, but eventually, just like the grass, all of that's going to fade. It's going to be done, and it's going to be over with. And if you've lived for that, then you're going to be the old man or the old woman down there at Whispering Chase, you know, sitting in one of the hallways with a heart full of bitterness for a misspent life. But if we live for things that are forever, if we, our hope is in God and we love one another and we've made all of that our priority, then when we get to that age and, the, and, and the, the beauty of our youth and our vigor has all passed into the sand and with the sands of time, then we can be that old person over at Whispering Chase that's not filled with regret. You know, we could be one of them that's not filled with regret, not wishing that we had uh, lived our life differently because we did what the Apostle Peter told us to do here. It all, he says it withers, the grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. That's a good place to bring it to a close. Brothers, sisters, let's take this to heart. Now let's put this into practice. He tells us how, or he tells us the, the way that we ought to be. Right there in verse 22, he says, seeing you have purified yourselves, will continue to purify yourself. Did you know that if you purify yourself in your own studies of the word and obeying the truth and, and things like that, church can be awesome like all the time. Because none of the, the sharp corrections and the reproofs even touch you because you've already purified yourself in this particular area. I mean, it's pretty cool how that works, you know. Yeah. And, and even so, you know, so say you missed something and, you know, and then something gets said from the pulpit. And it's never aimed at anybody, I don't think, not unless God wants it to be. Or, but that's not typically how we preach here. It just hasn't <clears> gone that route, not, not usually. But, you know, even those things, right? Well, they hit you and then you're like, ouch, well, that hurt. I didn't like hearing that. Well, you don't take it as an insult and you don't take it personally. You just take it and you, and you apply it. And you purify yourself again by obeying the truth in the word. And it just makes everything better makes you better, makes your life better, and that makes the whole church better and on into eternity. So let's bring it to a close there. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.